Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi comments on her recent trip to Taiwan as Beijing reacts by launching missiles into Taiwan waters. Pelosi says that she's not trying to change the status quo. A new report shows that at least 72 fake news sites are spreading pro-China propaganda. Researchers say the campaign is being carried out by a Shanghai public relations firm. The Inflation Reduction Act, it might pass soon, aiming to lower health care costs, reduce the deficit, and increase some corporate taxes. Yet some economists say we'll do the exact opposite of what its name suggests and cause skyrocketing inflation. Lawmakers are demanding answers from the State Department. 18 representatives are telling the agency to preserve a set of documents. Those are related to taxpayer-funded grants devoted to the spread of atheism and humanism. A civil liberties group is joining Missouri in suing the Biden administration. The suit is over the government allegedly coercing social media companies to censor COVID information. We hear from a member of the group on how the First Amendment issue affects Americans. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is defending her high-profile visit to Taiwan earlier this week. She says it was never intended to change the regional status quo, but rather to preserve peace in the Taiwan Strait. Speaking at a news conference in Tokyo on Friday, Pelosi addressed the Chinese military drills and missiles which went off around the island in the wake of her unannounced but highly anticipated visit. She further vowed not to isolate the self-ruled island claimed by Beijing. They may try to keep Taiwan from visiting or participating in other places, but they will not isolate Taiwan by preventing us to travel there. We've had high-level visits, senators in the spring, a bipartisan way, continuing visits, and we will not allow them to isolate Taiwan. Pelosi's stop in Taiwan marks the highest level visit by a U.S. official in 25 years, where she met with Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen and praised the island's democracy and human rights record. Beijing was quick to condemn Pelosi's trip, which also took her through Singapore, Malaysia and South Korea before ending in Japan, one of Washington's closest allies. Five of the missiles fired off by Beijing this week landed in Japan's exclusive economic zone, prompting further warnings from Tokyo that increasing Chinese military activity in the Taiwan Strait threatens both national and wider regional security. China's military exercises near Taiwan have further disrupted key shipping lanes and prompted several commercial airlines to reroute or cancel their flights around the island for the time being. In response to the increasing military action nearby, Taiwanese President Tsai Ing-wen said Taiwan would not provoke conflicts but would firmly defend its sovereignty and national security. Premier Su Sang-chang had stronger words, referring to China as the, quote, evil neighbor showing off her power at our door. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has commented on the Chinese regime's military drills around Taiwan. He says they are a disproportionate and unjustified response to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's visit. The fact is, the Speaker's visit was peaceful. There is no justification for this extreme, disproportionate, and escalatory military response. The United States has conveyed to the PRC consistently and repeatedly that we do not seek and will not provoke a crisis. President Tsai has said the same thing. China has chosen 
to overreact and use Speaker Pelosi's visit as a pretext to increase provocative military activity in and around the Taiwan Strait. Blinken also said the U.S. will continue to follow the one-China policy and that conflicts between Taiwan and Beijing need to be resolved peacefully. He said other countries in the region do not want to see violence. The Chinese Communist Party has been conducting the largest ever military exercises in the Taiwan Strait. That includes launching live missiles into Taiwan waters. Beijing claims that self-ruled Taiwan is part of its territory. That's despite Taiwan never having been ruled by the communist regime. A security firm has found dozens of fake websites engaged in a massive pro-China misinformation campaign. One fake news story involves a U.S. senator. Here's that story. At least 72 fake news sites and multiple social media accounts were found to be spreading pro-China propaganda. That's according to a new report from cybersecurity firm Mandiant. The company identified these sites as part of a massive information operation campaign that's still running. Mandiant says the website's aim is to disseminate content strategically aligned with the political interests of the People's Republic of China. The report attaches a list of these fake websites. They have names like Austria Weekly and Focus on Russia. They present themselves as independent news from around the world and publish content in 11 languages. Mandian says they believe one Chinese public relations firm operates behind them, Shanghai Haishun Technology Corporation. Content on these sites is mainly critical of the U.S. and Western societies. They seek to ease concerns over democracy in Hong Kong and human rights issues in China. But neither the authors of the articles nor the ownership of the sites are specified. Some of the fabrications are related to U.S. officials. One suspended Twitter account posted a letter allegedly sent to anthropologist Adrian Zins, a well-known critic of China's treatment of Uyghurs in Xinjiang. The post implies that the German scholar received funding from U.S. Senator Marco Rubio and former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon. This story was republished on other websites. Senator Rubio later confirmed the letter is a forgery. In a statement to Bloomberg, he said, It is important to expose these networks and that the Chinese Communist Party will continue to discredit its opponents in increasingly sophisticated ways. Although the propaganda campaign was massive, Mandiant researchers note that it hasn't made much of an impact. Meanwhile, FBI Director Christopher Wray testified before the Senate Judiciary Committee about Chinese espionage. This is a problem of massive, massive scale. Uh, and to some extent, as a country, we're playing catch up on the threat. Um, and so part of what I've got all our people doing is, is out there beating the bushes, interacting with the business community, the academic community. Ray also warned that Beijing's espionage has become the greatest long-term threat to our nation's information and intellectual property. The State Department appears to be promoting atheism and humanism in a recent grant program. For those unfamiliar with the term, humanism is usually related to rejecting the belief of a supernatural power or higher order to the universe. Now, House Republicans are demanding answers. They're asking the department to preserve all documents related to those grants. 18 House Republicans, led by chair of the Republican Study Committee Congressman Jim Banks, sent a letter to Secretary of State Antony Blinken on Tuesday. They are expressing concerns over a competitive grant program the department is offering overseas. The program provides up to $500,000 to organizations devoted to, quote, promoting and defending religious freedom inclusive of atheists, humanists, non-practicing, and non-affiliated individuals. 
The State Department says the goal is to, quote, ensure everyone enjoys religious freedom, including the freedom to dissent from religious belief and to not practice or adhere to a religion. In their letter, the Republicans asked the State Department to collect, retain, and preserve all documents, communications, and other records related to this grant program. This includes all information connected to oversight requests or demands from Congress. The House members say this is so that the documents may be used in a potential congressional inquiry or investigation in the future. They say they have reached out to the department in June but didn't hear back, and that many of their constituents have reached out to them with concerns about the program. The Congress members say, quote, Americans deserve to know why the State Department is committed to spreading atheism abroad, in which foreign anti-religious groups are receiving their tax dollars. They are also asking the State Department which organizations have received the grant and in what countries. Senate Democrats are on track to pass what they call the Inflation Reduction Act. But is the bill really going to curb inflation? Some economists say it will help by enabling the Fed to tame inflation and make family budgets go further by having to spend less on health care. Though many economists say it will do the opposite and cause inflation to rise. Here are the details. The Inflation Reduction Bill is a spending package that appears to be a revised version to the Build Back Better bill, which President Biden has been advocating for. Senator Kirsten Sinema of Arizona agreed to a revised version of the bill on Thursday. She was the last Democrat needed to get the bill through the Senate. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said in a statement on Thursday that the bill includes reducing prescription drug costs, fighting climate change, and closing tax loopholes exploited by big corporations and the wealthy. The spending bill is expected to include about $370 billion on energy and climate programs. It would also raise the corporate minimum tax to 15%, which is estimated to generate over $300 billion. Republican leader Mitch McConnell says he opposes the Democrats' package. This week, he said that their so-called inflation bill will take nine years to cut the same amount of inflation that our country added every week in June. Nine years of huge tax hikes and big spending to remove literally one week's worth of inflation. A joke. And according to Fox News, 230 economists sent a letter to the White House saying, contrary to its name, the package will actually contribute to skyrocketing inflation. They say that proposed $430 billion in spending would create immediate inflationary pressures. They also criticize the corporate minimum tax, which they say will undercut efforts to restore functioning supply chains. Schumer said the final version of the bill will be introduced on Saturday. There could be massive rent increases on the way for millions of California residents. Landlords are now legally allowed to increase costs by as much as 10% for some homes. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Statewide safeguards to prevent evictions during the pandemic have come to an end. Legislation limits rent increases to 5%. But now that inflation has ballooned, the limit is up to 10%. Eulises Del Bosque is fighting eviction proceedings from his new landlord. I feel a little nervous every time I come to the mail because I don't know if there's going to be an eviction note or a note from the court. Whenever I come to the mail, I come with my nerves on end, too stressed. Juan Garcia has lived next door for 17 years. He, too, is fighting eviction. That's because he's refused to pay an increased rent rate. Yes, I'm worried because they, well, they wanted to raise the rent, but unfortunately, I told them no, no, I did not accept that they raised it, but the other tenants did. 
Solo les dije que no. A local group called Strategic Action for a Just Economy gives free legal advice to renters. Many tenants saw decided decreases in their income during the pandemic. So we're in an unfortunate situation where uh, inflation may allow landlords to increase rents just at a time when, when tenants can't really afford it at all. Larry Rubenstein owns around 20 apartment complexes in Los Angeles and has hundreds of tenants. He says the rent increases are necessary. Operating a building costs a lot of money and it doesn't like, it's not clipping coupons. This is a business. We run a business. We, we try to run a good business. We try to take care of the residents. Los Angeles is now one of the most expensive places to live in the United States. According to Zillow.com, the median rent for a property is now just over $3,100 a month. That's an increase of $782 in rents over the last year, and 45% higher than the national median. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Police say the two people who were critically injured in a lightning strike outside the White House have died. Two others remain hospitalized with life-threatening injuries. James and Donna Muller of Janesville, Wisconsin, died of their injuries after the lightning strike in Lafayette Park, located directly outside the White House complex. Police say the other two people, a man and a woman, were in critical condition. Their identities were not immediately released. Authorities did not reveal how the people were injured other than to say they were critically hurt in the lightning strike. Officers with the Secret Service and the U.S. Park Police witnessed the lightning strike Thursday night and ran over to render first aid. And just ahead, over 100 Florida officers simulate confronting an active school shooter. The police chief says he wants possible gunmen to know that his officers are prepared. And searching through a vast landfill for the remains of a teenager, Detroit police have been doing this for over two months, and they have to decide whether to continue. Find out more right after this short break. civil rights organization is joining efforts to stop the government from stifling free speech. The focus is on information related to COVID-19 and treatments for the disease circulating on social media. We hear from a member of the New Civil Liberties Alliance, or NCLA, on why they're taking up this fight. Joining us now is Janine Yunus, who is the litigation counsel for the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Thank you for joining us, Janine. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, indeed. And now, why has the NCLA joined the state of Missouri in suing President Biden, HHS, and Dr. Anthony Fauci over allegedly censoring COVID-19 information on social media? Well, because uh, this is one of the worst First Amendment violations that I think we've ever seen uh, in this country. The federal government is coercing tech companies and using them in order to accomplish its own censorship aims. So the federal government thinks that there's a problem with COVID quote unquote misinformation. And it's told tech companies that if they don't censor people who basically disagree with the government's message, then uh, they will be penalized in the form of regulation or other legal action. Uh, the, the federal government can't use private companies to do what it can't do directly. So, uh, you know, we considered this a very grave issue. We actually had raised, had a um, similar lawsuit a little bit earlier that was dismissed, although we're still pursuing that on appeal. And we had these four private plaintiffs who wanted to join, and so we joined on their behalf. 
Certainly, it's a very important topic to discuss, big tech and how the information is spread. Now, in July 2021, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy said that big tech companies have allowed COVID misinformation to spread without being held accountable. He said this false information kept people from wearing masks in high-risk places, turn down proven treatments, and avoid the vaccine, all causing unnecessary illness and death. How does the lawsuit you've joined address this? Well, uh, Vivek Murthy's statements are part of it. Uh, there are also a number of other government officials or officials within the Biden administration who've said uh, similar things. So Biden's spokeswoman, Jennifer Psaki, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas. But then, you know, as we've recently seen over the past couple of weeks, this campaign was even more uh, extreme than we had realized. There were emails from DHS and from CDC that show that the federal government was basically commanding tech companies to censor people. There's uh, the CDC emails that were released last week actually single out certain people. One of them is Naomi Wolf, whose Twitter account was suspended shortly after, just a couple of weeks after the CDC is telling Twitter that she's spreading misinformation. So what we're seeing here is that the tech companies are acting at the behest of the government, which makes this a First Amendment issue. Now, would you say that there are any legitimate false pieces of information that could be classified as misinformation that are spreading that should be taken down? Um, well, that's a good question. Uh, our plaintiffs, you know, we they're, they're great plaintiffs because they're actually, three of them are doctors, scientists, um, who are epidemiologists and work in this area. And everything they've said has turned out to be true. So what the government is doing is censoring very valid debate. The First Amendment still protects uh, lies. So you can, you, you know, the government can't say that you can't tell lies or spread what's called misinformation. Of course, that's harder to convince people that that's okay. So in your view that this information should be allowed to spread even if it is false? Um, well, yes, I would argue that that's First Amendment protected, but our plaintiffs actually, nothing they have said is beyond the pale. You know, they've said things like the studies actually show that masks uh, don't work, aren't, are not very effective, which has turned out to be true. They said the vaccines don't stop transmission. Um, that, you know, the vaccines have some side effects, that they've never been anti-vax or anything, um, but they've just made valid points that the American public deserves to hear. And Janine, in your view, what are the harms of the government intervening in this? Oh, there are uh, tons of harms. <laughs> so people aren't, I mean, this is sort of crucial uh, core First Amendment speech. This is why we have a First Amendment, because the framers of the Constitution recognize the government doesn't hold all the answers, and often they're wrong, and they wield their power in ways that are problematic. So what is happening is we're censoring very valid debate, for instance, about lockdowns um, and masks. The public isn't able to properly get the information that it needs to weigh in on the policies that we should have. Janine Yunus, NCLA, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Multiple people were injured after a vehicle drove through a ceremonial parade in New Mexico. A warning, this next story contains graphic video. It shows an SUV barreling through crowds Thursday evening in Gallup, New Mexico. Officials say the vehicle drove down the route where people were celebrating Gallup's intertribal ceremonial parade. According to police, multiple people, including two officers, were injured. The extent of the injuries wasn't immediately clear, but police said the victims were all treated at the scene. The driver and others in the vehicle were taken into custody. Officials said early reports of shots fired were unfounded. According to the Navajo Nation Council, no weapons were found in the vehicle. Four people were found dead on Thursday in the small farming town of Laurel, Nebraska. Police responded to reports of explosions and fires at two separate residences in the town. 
When local police and fire departments arrived at the first residence, they found the first victim. A short time later, a second fire was reported at a home several blocks away, and three more victims were found there. Foul play is suspected in these deaths. We will not be releasing the identities of those involved at this time, as this investigation is in the very early stages. A silver sedan was spotted leaving Laurel, located about 40 miles west of Sioux City, Iowa, soon after the second fire. The driver may have picked up a passenger before leaving town, and either of them may have burn injuries. And over in Maryland, video footage shows the moment a water spout destroyed structures on Smith Island. The water spout is part of storms that have left 50,000 people without power. Maryland's governor tweeted that people should stay off roads in affected areas. Big damage to structures on Smith Island has been reported, but so far, no injuries have been announced. Fewer than 300 residents live on the island. A local resident told Insider that the water spout destroyed the island's only gas pumps and that boats were thrown everywhere. In 2013, after Hurricane Sandy, the governor wanted to buy out the properties of the homeowners who remained on the island. The National Ocean Service says there were fair weather water spouts and tornadic water spouts. Tornadic water spouts are just like tornadoes that form over water and are accompanied by storms. Fair weather ones form in light wind conditions and travel very little. This week in Miami-Dade County, police held an active shooter simulation in a high school. The police chief says the training might look scary, but it's needed. We want the community to know. We want anybody out there who's thinking of causing harm to our students in our schools to don't come in here because our law enforcement are trained to make them real dead real quick. I mean, and as a parent, that's what I want to hear. I mean, we, there's no time to negotiate with an active shooter. Simulations were made to appear as real as possible, with blank shots being fired and participants who were screaming. Some of them wore white T-shirts with fake bloodstains on them. The drill included over 100 officers, along with firearms instructors in red shirts. They guided officers into classrooms and gave them tips on how to improve. The training prepares a single person to respond to an active shooter. It trains officers to confront the shooter as soon as they notice the assault, even if they're on campus alone. The drill was held as summer break nears an end and before schools return for a new academic year. And over in Michigan, Detroit police are searching for the remains of a teenager in a vast landfill filled with rotting trash. This is their toughest assignment this summer. Police are searching for the remains of Zion Foster, a 17-year-old who was killed in January. Investigators are certain her body was placed in a dumpster, which was emptied into a garbage truck for a journey to a landfill in Macomb County. Police say they believe they're in the right area, but after weeks of combing through tons of trash, they're losing confidence in the location. Each day, officers have to scoop up roughly 40 loads of trash and inspect them with sharp rakes. They've been digging for nine weeks. They say they'll soon have to make a call on how much longer the search will last. Zion was a high school senior when she disappeared in January. No one has been charged with her death. New York's Port Authority bus terminal could be transformed into a state-of-the-art facility by 2031. Authorities revealed plans and designs of the makeover on Thursday. The overhaul of the bus terminal is expected to cost as much as $10 billion. The plans call for a new terminal on the site of the existing one. It includes an adjacent staging and storage area for buses when they aren't in use and an enclosed ramp system connecting the terminal to the Lincoln Tunnel. 
The ramp system will eventually be covered by about three and a half acres of public green space. About $3 billion for the project will come from the Port Authority of New York and New Jersey's capital budget. The authority will seek federal dollars to help pay for the new terminal. The project will be built on Port Authority land and won't require the taking of private property. And down in Mexico, rescue teams are working to rescue 10 miners trapped inside a flooded coal mine. Five other miners escaped. The miners became trapped on Wednesday. That's after their excavation work caused a tunnel wall to collapse, and that triggered flooding in three wells. Mexico's president says municipal, state, and federal governments are working together to help free the miners. Their rescue effort requires pumping wells to send rescue teams down to the mines. Mexico's president added that investigations into the mine's safety would come after the rescue effort is complete. The five miners who escaped the accident received medical treatment. Two have been discharged from the hospital. According to the labor ministry, the mine had no existing safety complaints. It began operations in January. One of Mexico's worst mining disasters occurred in the same state, Chihuahua, in 2006. 65 men were killed and only two bodies were ever recovered. The president has vowed to find the bodies of the other victims. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Up next, in New Zealand, the head of the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command paid a visit seeking to boost military ties with the island country. We'll have all that and more for you right after this short break. Welcome back. We take you to New Zealand. The U.S. Indo-Pacific commander paid a visit to the country to boost bilateral relations. In his words, the partnership between the U.S. and New Zealand runs very deep. Here's more on his visit. The head of the U.S. Indo-Pacific Command made an official visit to New Zealand. The trip aimed to expand the partnership between the two countries amid Beijing's growing influence in the region. U.S. Commander Admiral John Aquilino said the U.S.-New Zealand partnership runs deep. He also noted that the two countries are doing many things together for the peace and prosperity of nations in the region. Aquilino's visit to New Zealand's capital, Wellington, followed a recent trip to neighboring Sydney, Australia. There, he engaged with 27 senior military leaders at the Chief of Defense Conference, discussing ways to safeguard regional peace and stability. He confirmed that the U.S. would continue to operate in the areas allowed by international law, quote, no matter what else you might hear. New Zealand's military is small in size, but Aquilino says the U.S. welcomes all operations with all partners, regardless. The move follows a highly controversial military pact signed between Beijing and the Solomon Islands. The deal has sparked concerns that Beijing could build a military base in Australia and New Zealand's backyard. Recent reports have also revealed that a Chinese state-owned firm was investigating the purchase of a deep-water port and World War II-era airstrip in the Solomon Islands. These developments have put the U.S. on alert. In July, Vice President Kamala Harris pledged to support Pacific leaders in a virtual address to the Pacific Islands Forum meeting. Her commitments include the building of new U.S. embassies and an increase in funding for regional programs. 
Meanwhile, the Solomon Islands Prime Minister has continued to deny that the Chinese regime will establish a military base in his country. Australian lawmakers and their staff have been advised to get two phones to keep work and social media use separate. That's amidst widespread security concerns over TikTok. The Australian Financial Review says an Australian intelligence and cybersecurity agency issued the warning. The agency reportedly said some social media apps are over-collecting data and constantly demanding access to users' contacts, location, and other apps on the device. A white paper on TikTok investigations published in July reported that TikTok tracked GPS location on Android devices at least once an hour and kept asking for contact information even after users initially denied access. The agency advised members of the Australian Parliament to use a separate phone for social media. Most Australian members of Parliament have Facebook and Twitter accounts, and TikTok has also become an important platform in election campaigns. TikTok has drawn particular attention in the West because of its ties to the Chinese Communist Party. A British industry leader confirms that UK companies are leaving China. Let's take a closer look at why and what's driving the shift. British businesses are cutting ties with China, reportedly because of concerns tied to rising political tensions. The head of the Confederation of British Industry, Tony Danker, said Saturday that every company he speaks to is rethinking their supply chains. That's because they anticipate that our politicians will inevitably accelerate towards a decoupled world from China. China was Britain's biggest source of imports last year, accounting for 13 percent of its total. But British security concerns have risen in recent years, fueled by many disagreements, including over Hong Kong. Last week, the head of the UK's intelligence service said China has become the country's top security concern over counter-terrorism. Britain has also increasingly blocked Chinese takeovers of companies on national security grounds. On top of that, the remaining candidates for UK prime minister have said they intend to take a tougher line on China. Back to Danker, he mentioned U.S. influence has also played a role, noting how growing U.S. concern about China has made British companies more wary about being dependent on Chinese suppliers. And just ahead, Russia says it's ready to discuss a prisoner swap in private that includes basketball star Brittany Griner. Could she be swapped for a Russian arms dealer? Stay tuned for more right after the break. Russia said today it was ready to discuss a prisoner swap with the United States in private. It comes a day after a Russian court jailed U.S. basketball star Brittany Griner for nine years for a drugs offense. Russia's foreign minister said Putin and Biden had already agreed on how to discuss prisoner exchanges. The U.S. says Washington is prepared to engage with Moscow through the established diplomatic channels. Secretary of State Antony Blinken said Griner's conviction highlighted her wrongful detention, and he said it and further compounded the injustice that Russia had done to her. The Kremlin has remained tight-lipped on the prospect of a swap. It said if prisoner exchanges were discussed in the media, they would never happen. A Kremlin spokesman declined to comment on the court's ruling on Griner. When asked if she could be pardoned, he said that the clemency procedure was coded in Russian laws. Griner's sentence could pave the way for a prisoner swap, but that deal could include a prolific Russian arms dealer who's serving a 25-year prison term in the United States. 
And over in Ukraine, President Zelensky says a report by Amnesty International about the country cannot be tolerated. He says the report equates the victim and the aggressor. The human rights group accused Ukraine of endangering civilians. It says Ukraine based its troops in residential areas during Russia's invasion. Kyiv likened the report to Russian propaganda and disinformation. The report said amnesty workers saw Ukrainian forces establishing bases and operating weapon systems in residential areas. That's during their visits to several frontline areas in Ukraine's east and south from April to July. Zelensky made a televised late-night address. He said Russia had deliberately targeted civilians, and he mentioned many atrocities that he said have been committed by Russia but have not been included in any reports. The Ukrainian leader also asked the European Union to release $8 billion for Ukraine that's currently blocked, adding that Ukraine cannot be held hostage to their indecision or bureaucracy. The U.N. nuclear chief has issued a warning. He says the Russian-controlled Zaporizhia nuclear plant in Ukraine is completely out of control. The International Atomic Energy Agency issued an urgent plea to Russia and Ukraine. They want experts to visit the complex to stabilize the situation and avoid a nuclear accident. For any nuclear facility to operate normally and and safely, There are a number of uh, principles and uh, norms that must be observed. And when we look at the situation, the very unique situation we have in Saporizhia, we see that uh, most of them, if not all, are being uh, violated or not observed or not followed. Grossi said the situation at the plant in southeastern Ukraine is becoming more perilous every day. Russian troops seized Europe's largest nuclear power plant in early March. Grossi said he's concerned the structure may have been damaged by ongoing shelling. At the beginning of the war, reports of shelling at Zaporizhia shocked the international community. Ukraine and Russia continue to accuse each other of attacks on the plant. This week, Secretary of State Antony Blinken called Russia's actions around the plant the height of irresponsibility. He accused Moscow of using it as a nuclear shield in attacks on Ukrainian forces. A mass exodus of Western firms from Russia due to sanctions has provided an unexpected boon for its domestic businesses. One local company is hoping to take up to 50% of the soft drink market in a few years' time following the expected exit of Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Entity's Trevor Piper has more. As the world's largest soft drink producers suspend their operations in Russia, a domestic player is hoping to increase its share of the £7 billion market. The company, Chernogolovka, named after the town outside Moscow where it was founded, makes snacks, bottled water, herby lemonades, energy drinks and since May, its own brand of cola. The soft drinks producer is more than doubling the size of its business this year and expects to reach 30% market share within two years from less than 9% at the end of 2021. Due to possible exit of Western companies from Russian markets, we were, we are and we will be the main Russian beverages producer. We hope to become the leaders in the beverages market of the Russian Federation and we are working on it. We have significant ambition. We want to get around 50% of the Russian soft drinks market. Coca-Cola and Pepsi both suspended their operations in Russia after the war started. Both companies' drinks remain available to buy for now, but are expected to disappear over time, leaving an opportunity for local manufacturers to step in. 
To meet the anticipated ramp-up in demand, the local company is building a 40,000-square-meter production plant. In fact, we have been planning to produce cola and to enter the cola market before Western companies announce their exit. Some additional demand has come from fast food outlets. Chernogolovka started supplying soft drinks to the Russian outlets of Burger King and KFC in April. It's in talks to do the same for Vukuzno and Tochka, the renamed chain of McDonald's restaurants that opened after Russia's McDonald's was sold to a local licensee. Like all Russian companies, Chernogolovka faced supply headaches after Western governments and companies targeted Russia with sanctions. The Moscow regional government pushed for its inclusion in a list of companies producing crucial goods, which allowed it to get preferential treatment from lenders. Trevor Piper, NTD News. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, an ancient site in Rome has just opened up to visitors. It's a private home inside the baths of Caracalla, and there are frescoes never seen before. And Cyprus opens its first underwater archaeological marine park near the ancient site of Amethyst, allowing visitors to explore ancient ruins on the seabed. Find out more right here on NTD News. Good to have you back. And now we take you to Italy, an ancient Roman site where a wealthy merchant and his family once lived has reopened after 30 years. The site is decorated with spectacular frescoes of Roman and Egyptian gods. Let's take a look. The Baths of Caracalla is a big draw for tourists visiting Rome. And now there's something new to see. Authorities have recently opened up what was once a private home built here even before the public baths. The two-story house, or Domus, dates from around 134 to 138 AD during the reign of Emperor Hadrian. The Domus is reopening after 30 years and it is a great novelty because in addition to the prayer room that was already visible for those who were lucky enough to see it 30 years ago, we present a new room of the Domus that is the Triclinium with paintings that have never been seen before and therefore presented to the public for the first time. It's believed the wealthy merchant and his family lived here. It was partially destroyed to make way for the construction of the Caracalla public baths, which opened in the year 216 AD. There was the Domus of Asinius Polonius, who was an important politician who lived in the time of Augustus, before the owner of our Domus. There were also the private houses of some emperors, the Privata Adriani, namely the private house of Emperor Hadrian, that we know was right in the area of the small Aventine. So let's say the Domus belonged to wealthy people. The inner temple features images of Roman gods on one wall and silhouettes of Egyptian gods on the other walls. The blending of different belief systems was rare in domestic buildings of the period. On this wall, we can still see traces of a central god in whom Serapis could perhaps be recognized, but unfortunately she is almost completely faded. On the left, however, we can still clearly see the figure of Isis holding a torch. She was probably clutching ears of corn in her right hand, and she has feathers on her head and a lunar knot. There are plans to investigate the ruins more closely and hopefully shed more light on the lives of the people who called it home. Archaeologists may even restore parts of the building that were destroyed. 
Visitors at a beach in Cyprus can now wade among ancient ruins on the seabed. The island has opened its first underwater archaeological marine park near the ancient site of Amethyst. Swimmers can see the structures of the ancient harbor as they dip below the waves. The site dates from the Hellenistic period of the 4th century BC. The area is also rich with marine life. When one is swimming in the harbor, which is found at a depth of one to four meters, they can see the jetties of the harbor, the entrance to the harbor, while on the right and left they will find the Posidonia and could also find turtles and fish. The archaeological site of Amathus sits on the coast above the harbor. During the Archaic period, it was a wealthy kingdom engaged in commercial trade. These people can learn, understand how things were, and then explore by themselves. Because this is an open space, it was and it still is, there are no gates or anything. So people can take their time. The ruins of the harbor cover an area of more than 300,000 square feet. It's very well preserved and harbors are at the core of them, simple uh, constructions. So you can really paint the picture by seeing the monument and you can really understand how it was built and how the people saw it at the time. The first excavations on the harbor took place in the 80s as part of broader research into the area. We didn't come as researchers, but uh, we came to find ways to convey to the public all this knowledge that we had and help visitors, swimmers and pedestrians uh, to understand the landscape. Experts believe the harbor was constructed between 312 BC and 294 BC, when Cyprus was the focus of conflict between two successors of Alexander the Great. It was probably constructed as a naval base because of its narrow entrance, but experts say it could have been used for commercial purposes as well. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Parts of the Great Barrier Reef have recorded its highest level of coral cover since monitoring began 36 years ago. The Australian Institute of Marine Science ran a survey. It found that the average hard coral cover in the upper and central areas of the reef had increased by about a third. The Institute's survey examined 87 reefs from August 2021 and May 2022. It's a rare piece of good news for the world-famous reef, which underwent its sixth mass bleaching event in March. Bleaching is a result of warmer-than-normal water temperatures. That triggers a stress reaction from the corals, and it can take nearly a decade to recover from it. The Institute's CEO said the increase in coral is a sign the reef could still recover from mass bleaching. An Australian Marine Conservation Society official said while the report is a sign of progress, the reef remains at risk. And still to come, many Cuban baseball players leave the country to play abroad as the communist-run island continues to contend with an economic crisis where long lines for essentials are the norm. Find out more after this short break. Over 75,000 rubber ducks raced down the Chicago River Thursday to benefit charity. The annual event is coordinated by Special Olympics Chicago, and this year they raised nearly $333,000. There were more than 75,000 rubber ducks sponsored. The sponsor of the duck who wins gets a new Chevy Equinox. Other prizes include a Royal Caribbean cruise and $2,500 in cash. 
The organization says proceeds help provide opportunities in competitive sports, health education, leadership, and personal development to more than 21,000 children and adults with intellectual disabilities across the state. Special Olympics Illinois athlete Kyle Tuckey served as the 2022 Duck Derby ambassador. He held up the winning duck at the finish line. The organization says Tuckey began participating with Special Olympics Illinois 20 years ago when he was eight. Baseball is Cuba's national pastime, but many players are leaving the country to play elsewhere as the communist-run island continues to contend with an economic crisis. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more. Eight-year-old Cuban student Kevin Kindelon is a shortstop for a Central Havana Junior League baseball team. His teammate, Leone Venego, plays first base. Both dream of stardom. Kindelon says he wants to play for Cuba's national baseball club. The best is the ball. It's what I like most. I like to take the gloves and put on the helmet. Venego says he wants to follow in the footsteps of his favorite major league baseball player. I want to be like Yuri Gurriel because he's good and plays as first baseman like me. Cuba's economy shrank 11% in 2020 and has only inched upward since. Long lines for food, medicine, and fuel are the norm. Many young players are no longer as motivated by communist ideology or love of country. Coach Nicolas Reyes has seen more than a dozen of his players sign contracts in leagues outside Cuba. I trained around 12 players in Major League Baseball, and now three more have been signed on. One is in Chicago, Alex Sanchez, one who played for the Detroit team, Sometimes I text other children who were signed in the major league. To me, it's delightful seeing children who started with me and now they're in the major leagues. It makes me proud. Juan Reynaldo Perez is the president of the Cuban Baseball Federation. He said the continuing pipeline of talent still fuels hope for the future of Cuban baseball. We've contracted players in our federation in different leagues with high quality and others who are not signed in by the federation but who are playing in different leagues around the world, including the MLB, where Cubans are prominent. For this reason, we say Cuban baseball still has high quality. According to U.S. Customs and Border Protection, there has been an exodus of more than 157,000 Cubans to the United States since October. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Gut health is a way of describing the bacterial population in your digestive system, your microbiome. Let's find out what you need to get your gut health back on track. Here's Gina Marie who brings us Strong Mind and Body. If you are not thinking about your gut health, you're missing out on an important element of your overall health. Your gut can influence your mood, your immunity, and your metabolism. It can also influence the functionality of your body's internal systems. So how does it have this kind of power? Think about it this way. You've got trillions of cells in your body that most consider central to existence. Well, gut health is really a way of describing the bacterial population in your system, your microbiome. You actually have far more bacteria and fungi living inside you than the number of your actual cells. So how do you make sure you've got the best bacteria to keep you feeling good and healthy? Make sure you're cultivating the right kinds of bacteria and that you are feeding them adequately. 
Your genetics certainly play a role in your microbiome, but that's not the only factor involved. You've got the power to control what bacteria populate your gut and how they either build or diminish your health. Prebiotics and probiotics play a huge role in gut health. Probiotics are literal living bacteria that you can eat to improve your gut system. Prebiotics are the things you eat that actually feed these bacteria to help them thrive. Probiotics are found in fermented foods such as yogurt, kefir, kimchi, sauerkraut and pickles. Prebiotics are in most plant foods. Fibrous foods are generally prebiotic and help feed your gut with what it needs for optimal health. On the other hand, processed and sugary foods can populate your gut with unhealthy bacteria. These bacteria can promote inflammation, bad moods, fatigue, digestive problems and much more. But the good news is they aren't permanent residents. You can potentially evict them in time by eating more vegetables and plant-based foods. You can also boost probiotic intake and limit processed foods and sugary drinks. Police in Hawaii have blocked off part of a beach to protect a monk seal and her pup. Hawaii's Department of Land and Natural Resources says there's a 50-yard perimeter and 24-hour law enforcement presence. The seal, Rocky, and her newborn have been on the beach on Oahu for more than three weeks. People have been approaching them, creating a dangerous situation. One swimmer was even bitten by the mother when they got too close. Officials say the law enforcement presence will remain until the pup weans in a couple weeks. Then the animals are expected to move to another area. If diamonds are a girl's best friend, this thing is the ultimate BFF. A diamond-inspired super yacht concept called the Stella del Sud, inspired by Cartier's famous 128-carat diamond. The Italian design team behind the floating fantasy imagines an onboard cinema, helipad, and three pools, one with a waterfall effect. The main deck has room for eight VIP cabins, a gym, and a piano lounge. The owner's suite on the bridge deck has all the opulence you can think of and even something you probably wouldn't think of, an aquarium in the ceiling over the bed. Right now, the Stella del Sud is just a design and the team who came up with it has been pretty tight-lipped about any further development, so who knows if this jewel will get its chance to shine on the open ocean. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.